0: So when my daughter was, I think, about two or three years old, we were, uh, sending, we were shopping in a mall down in Corpus Christi and uh, clothes shopping, you know, those big racks they have, and, and we're looking at stuff, and all the, and, and, and all of a sudden we realized that she's not there. <clears throat> so we began to kind of look for her, you know, I mean, we're, we're opening, push, pulling clothes and looking inside of the racks to see if she's in there, and looking around the racks around us and all that, and we don't find her, and we don't see her, so we now we have the people that work at the store or looking through all the store and nobody's finding her or anything, and And we're starting to get really, uh, you know, a little frantic about this, a little panicked about it all. And so we have the store employees call the mall security people, and they start looking through all the mall, and they find her on the far end of the mall, Joy riding the escalator. (laughs) And, and, you know, when when you lose a child like that, you know, our our first response, you know, uh, was, you know, uh, well, you know, it's good, nothing bad happened to her because something is now. Uh, but then the, the second response after that, you know, immediately that goes away. And you're just so glad they're okay. You know, that they're just okay. You know, when a parent lose, finds a lost child, that's a wonderful gift. Um, and, and, you know, if you've ever actually been lost, uh, you know, that, that's, that's not a good thing. I mean, I'm not talking about, you know, we don't know exactly where we're going and we don't want to ask directions and that kind of annoying thing. I mean, actually lost, where, where you're alone and you don't know where you are, and you don't know how to get where you want to be or how to go back to where you started from. And that's a hard place to be. So, so how is it that we came to, to hear that when we use that language? How is it we came to hear that language in the church when we talk about somebody being lost? How did we come to hear that as being something negative and judgmental? Let's pray. Father, come and be in the midst of us in the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So so Luke's 15th chapter is sometimes called the lost and found chapter of the Gospels. It's a number of familiar parables to most of us. Uh, And and it's told in a very specific setting. Jesus is is speaking to a group of people that uh, the the good people of the day thought were beneath them. Because remember in Luke 19, uh, Jesus is going to state that his mission is "...the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost." And so he's, he's speaking to them and sharing with them, and as he's doing that, the Pharisees uh, and the scribes are standing there, and Luke tells us all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them, as if that's a bad thing. But remember, his, his mission is to seek and to save the lost. And so Jesus, overhearing them say that, begins to share some parables with them. The first one he shares is about a shepherd, and at the end of the day, he's rounding up his flock, and he's, he's bringing them back into the pen, and as they come back into the pen, he's counting them, and he counts 99, and he realizes that there's one still out in the field. And so he pins up the 99, and he goes out into the field, and he searches until he finds that one that's left, and he puts it on his shoulders, and he carries it back and rejoices that he has found the lost sheep. And just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now Now when Jesus tells that, here he very clearly, he's not saying the 99 sheep are not important, it's just that they're safe. We know they're okay. It's the one that we thought was lost, now that we celebrate over because it's come home. He tells another story, he says... <clears throat> Now, I want you to notice in both of these stories, you know, sheep sheep are not the sharpest animals in the world. And so, you know, when sheep eat, you know, they put their heads down, they start eating, they just kind of follow the grass. So it it really is not unusual for one of them to wander off from the herd and get separated. They just, they don't really have much awareness. They just kind of follow the grass. And, you know, when you drop a coin, it hits the floor and it rolls and it goes underneath something or behind something. And and, and then we look at it, and in this case, it's one-tenth of the woman's wealth has gotten lost in the house and you better believe she's gonna look for it I mean I don't know about your house but you know when we search our house all the time I'm I'm the finder in our house that's part of my job my job description you know whenever somebody loses something it's like well Tom can you find this so you know I, I and don't ever do the thing about well where did you leave it because they say back to you well if I knew where I left it it wouldn't be lost which is true uh, so, you know, I have to kind of, okay, well, where was the last time you had it? And we try to read. But, we, you know, we take the house, we turn it all upside down trying to find some small item. So, of course, if this is one-tenth of her wealth, you can better believe she turned that house upside down. But the coin didn't elect to be lost. It just got lost. And so he's telling these stories to him about how when what is lost is found, We celebrate. And then he launches into the third story of Luke's gospel, which is one that um, most of us are are really very familiar with, called the prodigal son story, although Timothy Keller says we ought to call it the the prodigal God story. And in that story, he begins to tell them about a man who had two sons, and the the younger son comes to him and says, Dad, I'm tired of waiting for you to die. Give me my half of the inheritance now. Now, that's a rather shocking statement, right? I mean, and I, I promise you it would be different in my household, but... The, the, the father gives him his half of the inheritance. And everybody that was listening to that story would have been stunned by that. They would have been stunned at the, the callousness of the younger son to even come and say that to his father. And much less they're they stunned that the father actually gave him the inheritance. Uh, and you, know, you think about what your household would have done if that had happened. So uh, it, it's a, kind of an outlandish story. It's a wild story, but it sets the scene that he needs to set. And the fact that it is so uh, kind of outlandish, threw all of his listeners a little bit off balance and off guard, which meant that they could be open to what he was going to tell them. So he tells them then the story, the younger son who receives this inheritance, and he, and he wanders off into a far land, and there he, he squanders the money. He burns through it in a hurry. Y'all know that like when people win the lottery, normally the, the average is three years before they're in bankruptcy. Because when we get free money, we burn through it in a hurry. And so the, the younger son burns through that money in a hurry, and pretty soon he finds himself with no place to stay and nothing to eat. And so he hires himself out to a local pig farmer, and he sleeps in the, in the barn with the pigs, and he's eating the slop of the pigs, which is really about as low as you can get for a good Jewish boy. And there in the, in the midst of that, while he's, a, while he's in that place and he's suffering through that, All of a sudden he comes to his senses and he says, all those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day and here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. He got right up and went home to his father. So when I was growing up, I kind of, Idolized my father like a lot of young boys do you know you a lot of young boys look up to their dads and think they're pretty amazing and and I thought my dad was really amazing and 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 awesome Uh, and you know he was smart and he, he had his own insurance company at that time and ran it and had people that worked for him and you know it was really cool and I'd get up in the morning and I'd sit on the back of the toilet tank while he was shaving Look out the window over the fields outside. And and he had an old safety razor. He'd taken the blade out and he'd give that to me. And he'd be shaving and I would take it and, you know, shave along with him. Kind of ironic now, but anyway, you know, but, you know. But, you know, it was awesome, you know, to do that with him. And and sometimes he'd take me to work with him. And, and I'd get to go when he had, uh, you know, coffee with his employees and people that worked for him. And I'd get to meet them or go on the road with him when he did that. And, you know, I just thought, well, man, he, he's just this really amazing, awesome kind of guy. And and just kind of put him up here on the pedestal and thought he was so wonderful. And and, and then we moved to Corpus. And uh, my landing in Corpus was rough. I, I had a hard time with that. Um, I literally... Fought my way through my first year of school there and, and uh, really had to learn how to kind of suck it up and dish it out as much as or worse than when I got back. And about the same time, you know, I, I was beginning to get into my early teen years. And, and you know, that's, that's just a really difficult time for all of us, right? I mean, you know, if, if, if you could go back to middle school, you wouldn't right I mean it, it's 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 just a hard time and so so I was going through that and and all that made me kind of start reevaluating and thinking about who I was and and all this and and who he was and and I began to think you know we're we're kind of different from each other you know I, I learned how to kind of weaponize my anger because you know if I could be the maddest person in the fight I usually won whereas my, my dad just hard I mean the man was as calm and steady as he got. I think I saw him lose his temper maybe twice in all of my life. I mean, he—he he was the person that, when everybody else was around and going crazy and nuts, he would be calm and steady, and reasonable. I thought, well, that's—that's that's pretty different between the two of us. My—my uh, my dad loved to read. He could take a, a book, a real book, you know, not, not a, but, you know, a real book, and sit down and, and read through it in an evening. And the next morning, he would remember everything he had read. I, I, at that age, I could read a chapter and struggle to remember it. And so I was going, okay, well, that's, that's pretty different between the two of us, you know. Um, At at the age of 12, I was uh, picking up a little extra money, uh, uh, rebuilding people's lawnmowers and bicycles and things for them so I could pick up a little extra spending money. And and my dad, bless his heart, my dad was just an accident looking for a place to happen with a set of tools, you know? I mean, if my dad walked in the house with a tool, it was our job to intercept him before he got to whatever it was, because whatever he was going to work on, he was going to cause damage, And so somewhere in there, I just kind of began to think, you know, okay, he's, he's a good guy, great guy, but, you know, we just really don't have that much in common. And I, I just kind of stopped trying. didn't really reject him. I just kind of stopped trying. And then at 14, I started working full-time and going to school full-time, and, and, and I kind of went down my path, and, and he kind of went down his path. So, so many years later, I'm in seminary, my first year in seminary. And one of the things we had to do at the school I went to was we took something called the Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory. Anybody ever taken that? It's, like, it, oh, it's an awful thing, you know, you take like 500 questions and you answer them and all this stuff and everything. But, but once we did all that, then, then we met with the counselor to get the results of that. And, and I sat down at the table with her and, uh, and she rolled out this, this uh, bar graph chart about this long and, and rolled it out with all these different uh, uh, personality kinds of things on it and my rating on those and, and, and walked through it and we looked at that and I said, yeah, that, that looks about right. I mean, that sounds like that's a pretty accurate description of who I am. And then a year later, she said, uh, this time I want you to send this to somebody in your family that's close to you and I want you to have them do it. So I, I sent it down home to Corpus Christi, mailed it down to Corpus to my folks and said, I need one of you two to, to do this. So my dad filled it out and, uh, and they sent it back up and then you know, I met again with the counselor and, and we sat down at the table and she rolled out my chart and went over it and I said, yeah, that looks familiar. Yeah, that's that. And, and then she took out a transparency. Um, for those of you who are younger, this is a clear sheet of plastic with things printed on it. You can actually project it using an overhead projector. But in this case, uh, she took it, sorry, in this case, she took it and she rolled it out on top of my chart so that it overlay my chart, and I looked at it, and except for three bars on that chart, they were identical. And, and that kind of rattled my cage. I thought, whoa, I'm, I'm, I'm almost a clone of my dad. Uh... And, and, and then I began to think about that there were characteristics of his that, that uh, hadn't appealed to me so much when I was younger, but now, you know, I thought those are really valuable things. You know, if you can be in the room when everybody else is pulling out their hair and setting it on fire, and you can be the one who stays calm and reasonable, that, that's a really good thing. You know, if, if you can read material and retain the information and be able to use it, that, that's a really good thing. If you can actually listen to people who are disagreeing with you and understand what they're saying, that, that's, that's a really good thing. I mean, if you can connect with people in a significant way, that's, that's a good thing. And I began, began to think, you know, <clears throat> this man has a lot to teach me and I've wasted a lot of time and I, I, I need to reconnect with him. But then there was you know, another year of seminary, and then I got out of seminary We moved back to Texas. In my first position, I was pastor for youth and missions, and I was traveling 30 and 40 weeks a year and here and there and all over the place and going and doing this, and things were hurried, and we were you know, young and, and you know, built buying our first home, and all kinds of things were happening. And then my mother called me to tell me he had cancer. I went, oh, I, I man, I really need to, I need to make time to do this. But then there were trips going on, and there were things to do, and I was busy with this, and I was busy with that. And, and finally, the, the night of my ordination, my, my wife and my mother conspired uh, to take me from the service to the, to the airport for the flight to Corpus Christi so that I could be there the next day when the oncologist came in to say we've done all we can do. And, and I can remember sitting in the hallway outside his room uh, feeling like I'd been sucker punched. I said, what does that mean? And his doctor said, well, he's got about three months. Well, oh, I, I've blown it. <laughs> I've blown it. But before he goes, there, there are things I, need, I really do need to say to him. I mean, I, I really do. And so I, I, I began rehearsing the speech about, you know, I, I want to uh, let you know I, I, that i, I I've not been the son to you I should have been. And, and I really regret that I haven't maintained that relationship with you and that I haven't spent the time with you that I should have spent. And I want you to know how, how proud I am to be your son and how glad I am that there's pieces of you in me. Most of all, I want you to know how much I love you. So I rehearsed that speech, and I was going back and forth between Austin and Corpus that summer. Uh, My sister and I were alternating going out and taking care of him, and uh, so I was flying back and forth, and uh, I'd be on the plane going down there, and I'd be rehearsing what I was going to say to him and all, and then we'd get down there, and oh, we'd have nurses all in the place, or he'd be uh, having some radiation for hot spots, or he'd be so full of narcotics that he didn't know what was going on and and all, And, and then people would be at the house, and then I'd be flying back to Austin, kicking myself all the way home, you dummy. So I made that trip four or five times, and finally around, around the end of July, uh, I got in, and, um, and he was having a good day. I uh, wasn't in a lot of pain, wasn't on a lot of meds. He was at home. No one else was there. My mother was out running some errands. I thought, this is, this is my opportunity. So I pulled the chair up beside his bed, and I, I sucked it up, and I sat down by him, and I said, Dad, I need to talk to you, and he said, Okay. And I launched in my speech. I regret that I haven't been the son to you that I should have been. And that I've neglected my relationship with you and wasted all this time that I haven't been here for you. But I want you to know how how proud I am that I am your son. And how glad I am that there's parts of you that are part of me. Most of all, I want you to know how much I love you. My dad listened, and he smiled. He reached over and he put his hand on mine and patted my hand. And he said, I know. I, I'm not sure what I was expecting to happen. I think I thought there was going to be more drama than that. But what hit me after a moment was that, you know, I, I'd walked in the room thinking that I needed to say something to earn his forgiveness and to reconnect with his love, And the truth is, his love and forgiveness had always been with me. I just needed to say those things to open myself up to receive it, to know it. That was the last lesson my dad taught me. He died a few days after that. That was the most important lesson my dad taught me. About what the love of the Father looks like. So when the younger son was still a long way off, his father saw him. His heart pounding, he ran out, embraced him, and kissed him. The son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't listening. He was calling to the servants. Quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get a grain-fed heifer and roast it. We're going to feast We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive, given up for lost and now found. And they begin to have a wonderful time. Because the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And when the lost are found, it's always a celebration. And then Jesus looked at the scribes and Pharisees who'd been grumbling. And he said, the older brother stalked off in an angry sulk and refused to join in. His father came out and tried to talk to him, but he wouldn't listen. The son said, look how many years I've stayed here serving you, never giving you one moment of grief, but have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? Then this son of yours, don't you love that disowning language? Not my brother, this son of yours who has thrown away your money on prostitutes, shows up and you go all out with a feast. And his father said, Son, you don't understand. You're with me all the time. And everything that is mine is yours. But this is a wonderful time and we had to celebrate. This brother of yours was dead and he's alive. He was lost and he's found. Because you don't have to leave home to be lost. You scribes and Pharisees, you've never left home. But your heart's a long way away from the Father. So over the years as I've read through this chapter, what I've come to realize is we're pretty much all in there somewhere. Right? You know, some of us... uh, (laughs) We've been lost and we've come home and, and been found and the Father's embraced us and we are doing the happy dance every Sunday because the Father's welcomed us home. If you watch Nick and Judy singing up here, you got to see a little picture, bit of a picture of what that looked like. And some of us, uh, we, we, we don't understand that we're, not lo- that we're, we're lost. I mean, we, we've never left home and so we think that's all there is to it. But, you know, our hearts are far from God, and, and we're wondering why those other people are having such a good time. We might even resent it. Some of us, we're, we're lost. <laughs> we're out in the far field, or we rolled under the, the bureau somewhere, and, and uh, we're all alone, and we're in the dark, and we don't know where we're going, and we just think that's the way life is. We don't know it can be any better. And, and some of us, <laughs> we've wandered off to that far country and, and found ourselves in a bind. And now we're wishing we could go home, but we don't know how we're going to be received. But the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And the point of those parables is to say, wherever you are, however your lostness is, The Father does not give up searching for you, does not stop seeking for you, does not stop watching for you. He will not rest until you come home and he can put his arms around you and say, welcome home, my beloved son. Welcome home, my beloved daughter. I want to invite you, if you can, where you are. If you just reach out and hold someone's hand. And let us pray. Father, here we are. In all of our lostness. Here we are this morning to come home. We know that we have not been the sons and daughters that we should have been. We know that we have neglected our relationship with you and we haven't spent time with you as we should have. And we regret all the years we've wasted. But Father, we want you to know how proud we are to be your sons and daughters and how glad we are that we find sparks of you within us and and sometimes in amazing kinds of ways. So Father, here we are. We've come home. And most of all, we want you to know how much we love you. Amen.